This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. Desperately trying to get into the round of 32 with an 0-3 record, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Smee, Captain Joe Fabiani. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Now, before we get into this week's news, it is time to give away a Malice prize pack. Last uh, week or a week or two ago, yeah, uh, Malice Captain Bunny Sariel was on the show and she very generously offered a free Malice bomber jacket a bunch of stickers and uh, a Malice Foam Frisbee to one of our fans. We put out the call on Facebook. Malice uh, also put out the call on Facebook for this. And uh, we asked people to send in their favorite Malice moment of the last two seasons. 41 people ended up entering this competition. um, And I have entered everybody's names into random.org. We're going to generate a random number right now. Are you ready? A little drum 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 roll. Drum 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 drum. And the number is 25. 25. Let me go and check this out. Uh, 25. Juno Marie. Congratulations, Juno. Juno writes, my favorite moment was the Malice versus Blacksmith fight for exclamation points. It's got to be one of my favorite fights of all time. Congratulations, Juno. We'll reach out to you on Facebook and Bunny will send out that prize back to you. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up, we're headed to eBay where three popular BattleBots teams are organizing auctions this week, giving fans the chance to bid on battle damage items from season six. Blacksmith is auctioning off the left side of its Power Hammer arm cover after successfully selling the right side last week. In Canada, rookie team Part of My French is auctioning off one of its weapon teeth, weighing in at 15 pounds each. Meanwhile, Tombstone Captain Ray Billings is auctioning off what might be the ultimate item for hardcore Tombstone fans, an autographed top armor plate complete with the team's Grim Reaper logo. This piece will very likely be the most successful BattleBots auction of the year, with bidding currently standing at $600 and ending on Sunday. On over to Arizona, where Malice team member Nick Dobrikov is striking out on his own and applying to Season 7 with a brand new drum spinner called Drago. Nick is a big fan of drum spinners, having built several drum bots in the lower weight classes, most recently running Noisy Boy at Norwalk Havoc. Malice Captain Bunny Sariel says she's planning to sponsor Drago and her team's other spinoff bot, Banshee. 
And finally, Nelly the Ellibot Captain Sarah Mollian is teaming up with Bombshell Captain Mike Jeffries for a new art contest this week. The contest is open to kids age seven and younger and invites them to send in their favorite piece of BattleBots-related art between now and March 20th. Their prize? An incredible homemade bombshell costume complete with a felted vertical spinner. Check out details on Nellie the Ellibot's Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. Now, before we get into our interview with Joe, it's time yet again for Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's fight card and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 92 people participate in Snap Decisions. Four people managed to call seven out of seven fight night fights correctly. Those people were Dalton Pinnell, Riley Gear, Josh Kubiak, and Jesse Mullen. The easiest fight to call last week was Riptide versus Duck, with 78 people correctly predicting that Riptide would win. The biggest upset was Hijinx versus Sub-Zero, with just 36 people predicting that Hijinx would win. Now, uh, I'd like to take a pause here and get your thoughts on Episode 9. Uh, we saw a gruff mega torch itself. Riptide Captain Ethan Kurtz apparently called his team idiots, which is a weird fact. Chris Rose, Valkyrie's easiest match of the season, Blip's hardest test yet. Deep Six getting deep stuck, and a super destructive main event that shattered a light and nearly breached the battle box with a split judge's decision. Kyle, Chris, Lindsay, I'd love to get your thoughts on episode nine. I have a bunch of idiots on my team, too. <laughs> okay, how did that happen? Uh, at what point did Chris Rose hear this, this, like, uh, this line? And at one point, did he like make a mental note like, oh, yeah, 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 on the broadcast. I'm just going to put Ethan Kurtz on blast for calling his team idiots. Like, how did that even happen? (laughs) I've had a few bosses like that. (laughs) It's baffling. It's baffling. It's such a weird fact. Like when they're coming out of the, uh, the, uh, the tunnel, you know, weird, strange. I appreciate how salty uh, Chris Rose has been this year and how um, unafraid he is to like call out builders for shenaniganry. Um, that, that's that been really nice. But yeah, that is a weird fact that he brought up. Very strange. Don't know what he was uh, trying to get across there. Um, outside of that, um, thoughts of the fights, you know, blip, um, just performing incredibly well. I feel like it's the sleeper rookie of the season. Um, this main event incredible like um it went to a a judge's decision it was like so destructive um i don't know like i really really liked episode nine i thought it was an incredibly strong episode and there were lots of surprises too agreed lots of good surprises excellent main event super fun um i thought that the hijinks had its best fight ever which i was super happy for um I thoroughly enjoyed the Minotaur Deep Six fight, even though it was only, you know, seconds long, really. And uh, Cobalt Gruff was a great way to start off the night, wasn't it? I thoroughly enjoyed Cobalt versus Gruff. Uh, You know, it's the immovable object versus the uh, impossible force. And uh, Cobalt is just looking so scary this year. I I really think that that bot is a full-on contender for the nut. Yeah. I love to see a robot on fire and surviving. Like that is one of my favorite things to see. Um, And if there's a robot that can do it, it's gruff. Um, Like that robot is so, so tough. And um, yeah, yeah, that, that was, that was really cool to see. Any other thoughts on episode nine? I mean, I think that we have to um, 
really give the final fight the credit that it deserves. Yeti and Scorpios, I mean, it doesn't really matter who who won that one in the judges' eyes because I think both teams really came out of that looking good. I mean, that's that's the kind of fight that, you know, is memorable and really is what I love to see. Um, and it just really, like, showed how I think Yeti is um, – one of the one of the more reliable like um competitive bots of what might be considered like the old old the old guard yeah yeah i mean i guess he has he's not as old as like lockjaw but um you know he he took a season or two off and he's back like uh you know no time has passed and he's really kept up with the times which is you know not not every bot can say that and so i think yeah. that's really impressive I'd say in the eyes of the selection committee, no one lost the, that final match. Um, if anything, they're both poised to be in a better spot than they would have been. Awesome. Well said. Um, all right. Well, let's get into this week's snap decisions. This is the last uh, round of qualifiers. And at the end of Thursday night episode, I believe pretty sure that they are going to announce the seating for the top 32, which I am positive is going to be, a uh, subject of much discussion um, for the for the following week. So, I guess buckle up and uh, get ready for that. Um, one of the big things that we're we're going to be seeing on Thursday is a lot of one on one bots. These are bots that are truly on the bubble, and they need one more fight to really secure their spot or make a good case for the top thirty two. Um, so, for this week, I'm going to not only give you. Uh, the bots all-time ranking from our resident statistician, Gil Hova, but also give you their season six record so that we can kind of talk about that. So, all right, if we're ready, uh, let's start with the first fight of the night. Number 13 ranked Bloodsport, which sits at one and one versus number 71 ranked Claw Viper, which also sits at one and one. Kyle, your prediction here. You know, most of the time I would give this to Bloodsport. Um, but with the shelf and how well Claw Viper has been performing, uh, I'm sorry, the upper deck and how well Claw Viper has been performing, this is going to be a tough fight for them. Claw Viper is fast. Um, they are going to be able to box rush, and there's just not a lot of area for Bloodsport to get away and spin up. It's going to be a tough fight for them. So my vote is for Claw Viper, and I can't believe I'm saying that controversial right out of the gate gotta love that kyle uh lindsey your your prediction claw viper versus blood sport you know i love blood sport and i'm such a huge fan of claw viper so this is a tough one because i imagine whoever wins this is going on to the round of 32 and whoever loses it has a a harder case to make um i i agree with kyle what you're saying um and I wouldn't be surprised if that's how it went down, but I'm still going to go with my gut and say Bloodsport, even though I'm, I'm kind of hoping it's Claw Viper because I, I suplex bots are where it's at, at for me. And I, I really want to see them like cement their right as a very competitive style bot. So final answer, Bloodsport. But yeah. Okay. Chris, your prediction here. You know something? You're both right. It's going to be a tie. <laughs> Is that right? And I'll just say Claw Viper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I agree. I, I really want to see. Um, I'd love to see 
you know, a sumo ebot get in there and uh, and control a, a a dominant horizontal spinner. I think it would help try to you know shift the meta a bit, and we'll you know see what happens. Uh, so, are you going to go with Claw Viper? Yes. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Chris, let's stick with you for the next fight. Uh, what appears, at least on paper, to be a squash match: number twenty-two ranked Mad Catter, which sits at one and one, versus number one hundred and twenty-three ranked Rampage. But sits at 0 and 1. I'm going to have to give this one to Mad Catter. Okay. Uh, Kyle, your prediction? Somebody needed to make sure that Mad Catter got to 2 and 1 so they can justify putting them in the round of 32. And yeah, that's what this is. Okay. Lindsay, uh, your prediction here Mad Catter and Rampage? It's like Mad Catter doesn't need a bot like Rampage to justify it. They could have beat largely anyone i imagine but um yeah this one's going to mad catter barring a a catastrophic (laughs) event catastrophic i love it good um all right Lindsay, let's stick with you for the next fight number 29 ranked huge which sits at one and one versus number 98 ranked switchback which also sits at one and one you know this is actually a really interesting matchup and i think that switchback has the kind of configuration that could make this, um, you know, not not like entirely one-sided. And I do see a path for them to victory for this, which I think means you have to eat a double batch of stickers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, but that being said, uh, after the, the win that Huge just came off of, I think that they are, they have like the wind in their sails and, and they're going to be out for blood. So I'm going to say Huge. Okay. Chris, your prediction. I, I have to see huge in there. It's um, it's I feel it deep in my soul. All right, and Kyle, your prediction: um, huge versus switchback. This is a tough match for huge. Honestly, um, this is like switchback is exactly designed to fight robots like huge. That that weapon is you know made to be put in a in a place and rammed into things. Um, that means they can get right up on huge's level. I don't know, man. Um, I'm going to give it to Switchback. Whoa, okay. I'm sure that is music to Greg Needell's ears. Uh, So that is great. Um, Okay, Kyle, let's stick with you for the next one. Number 78 ranked Kraken, which sits at 0 and 2, versus number 63 ranked Glitch, which sits at 2 and 0. Um, which arguably, if it wins this fight against Kraken, could very well make a case for itself being the top performing rookie of the qualifiers. Uh, Kyle, your prediction here. I think no matter what, Glitch counts as the top performing actual rookie this year because the other two uh, breakout rookie teams aren't really rookie teams. They're offshoots of existing teams, mm. um, whereas Glitch is 100% you know they they are they are rookies they are brand new to this and they're bringing it and they're doing a great job um so no matter what they've had a, a banner season in in any other season i would say this is kraken's fight to lose um but with the new judging rubric uh, it is very hard for kraken to win this fight so i am going to give it to glitch okay lindsay your prediction here yeah um i agree with what kyle said um it's really it's really going to be hard for them to get the damage points that they need to take the win because no matter what they do they're essentially not going to be given 3-0 and 3-0 for 
the other two categories. Um, that being said, <laughs> my heart is still saying Kraken. So um, I really want Matt to get, you know, his first win of the season. It's He's performed amazingly well so far. Um, and to see him go 0-3 is just not a reflection of his performance or of his bot. And so I'm really hoping he comes away with uh, with the win. Okay, so you're going to go with Kraken. I am. Nice. Chris, your prediction. Oof. Um, I'm going to give this one to Kraken as well. Uh, Glitch... I think, you know, they've shown themselves as a, uh, you know, a very uh, knowledgeable and talented rookie team. They are literally what the sport is all about. Um, However, I think they, you know, they had obviously some troubles like getting a start to the season. While we know that Kraken is a bot that is uh, that is dialed in and that uh, that can control. And I just don't know if that omnidirectional wheel on Glitch is really going to be able to kind of hold up from that kind of punishing aggression that will come from from Kraken. So that's that's where I'm going with it. Nice. Okay. Chris, let's uh, stick with you for the next fight of the night. Number 36 ranked Mammoth, which sits at one and one versus number 47 ranked Lucky, which sits also at one and one. It's going to be really weird to watch Lucky try to do its uh, its hurl, I want to call it. It's not quite a yeet. What did he say? It was a... Oh geez, a launch, <laughs> launch, yeah, launcher. But yeah, like, that's right. If out of all of the bots, maybe outside of huge mammoth, would be the the most awkward one to attempt to launch. Um, I don't see how that's really going to work out for him. Now, at the same time, his shape lends himself to fighting mammoth, but this is a mammoth. I think that this is a mammoth fight. Okay, Kyle, your prediction here: mammoth versus lucky. This is lucky, driven by the best driver that has ever driven lucky, in my opinion. Um. True. And depending on how they configure that launcher, they could be able to get to, you know, some part of Mammoth to launch it. If it's head on, I don't think they're going to be able to do anything. But if they're able to get to like the side or a wheel, they could they could throw it a bit. That said, this is this is going to be a Mammoth fight. Hey, okay. Lindsay, uh, your prediction here. Mammoth versus Lucky. Mammoth down the line. Okay. All right, Lindsay, let's stick with you for the next fight of the night. Uh, seems like another one last squash match of the qualifiers. Number 68 ranked Rusty, which sits at 0 and 1, versus number 5 ranked Witch Doctor, which sits at 1 and 1. Oh, also, fight of the hex bugs, I guess now, <laughs> which is pretty cool. Uh, your prediction here in this fight? I, I, you know, Witch Doctor, I, I don't really know why this is a fight. <laughs> I don't know who is asking for this fight. I don't know why they would do this to Rusty or if they think that like we wouldn't notice that they're like given witch doctor these like, you know, softballs. Um, It's just kind of weird. It's weird all around. And I'm just going to say witch doctor because uh, of course. Okay. Chris, your prediction here, Rusty versus witch doctor. Um, Wow. Uh, I'm going to give this one to... I'm going to give this one to Witch Doctor, uh, but for not for a reason that anyone else thinks. I think that um, Rusty already knows that he's a shoe-in for the 32 <laughs> and what just wants to make sure that the Glatelys come along for the ride. Mm, good. Kyle, your prediction. I'm trying to look up who else Witch Doctor has fought this year. Have they really gotten like softballs this year? Mm, let me look it up. They've had Duck and Endgame, which uh, in most seasons I would say these are not; those are not pushovers. 
Uh, this season, I suppose, with the judging rubric, Duck is a pushover, um, which is unfortunate to say because I love Duck, and who doesn't love Duck? Uh, this is what I have to say about this fight. We want to watch Witch Doctor fight top-notch talent. That, that's what everybody wants. Um, we also want them to protect Rusty. And they're not doing either of those things in this fight. And that makes me grumpy. Um, all right, Kyle, uh, let's uh, let's go with the main event of the night, a main event that uh, baffled a lot of people. I don't know. Not really on my card, but uh, uh, number 40 ranked Fusion, which sits at one and one versus number 35 ranked Ice Wave, which also sits at one and one. Your prediction. Yeah, super weird main event. Um, I don't know. This is a hard one. I think it's going to go to Fusion. I'm pretty sure it's going to go to Fusion. They just have a lot of things that they can use in this fight. And, you know, Ice Wave is the one trickiest of one trick ponies. Uh, So I'm going to give it to Fusion, but I don't know who needs to see this. It's going to be really destructive. That'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, your prediction. Fusion versus Ice Wave. It's a very strange decision to put this as the main event. Um, I'm not, again, not really sure why. Um, but I think it'll still be very interesting and, uh, I'm going to go with fusion. I would love to see fusion in the round of 32. I'd also love to see ice wave. I mean, I, I, I'm proud of them for making a comeback and having a competitive bot, but yeah, I'm, I'm saying fusion. Okay. Chris, your prediction. I'm really curious who has the longer reach between fusions, horizontal spinner and ice waves, horizontal spinner. I'm going to say it's probably ice waves. We've seen that bar, uh, you know, on top of that bot. Oh my goodness. It's probably four or five foot in diameter. Um, Mm. I'm curious to know if he's able to land one of those shots uh, early because of the reach advantage on fusion, you know, how that could play out. If is fusion going to roll out the, the fork configuration on the other side and kind of back his way in. Ooh, uh, this is a tough one. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to split from the pack and I'm going to say ice wave. Okay, good. Chris, let's stick with you for uh, the YouTube exclusive fight of the week. Two true rookies, number 142 ranked Blade, which sits at 0 and 2, versus number 89 ranked Dragon Slayer, which sits at 1 and 1. So this is interesting. Um, potentially with this match, an 89 ranked bot could go to 2 and 1 and be a potential uh, candidate for the round of 32. I don't see Blade being able to, you know, kind of, I mean, it would have to be one of the most spectacular matches ever. And I don't know if they'd put it on YouTube, if that was the case. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to say Dragon Slayer. Okay. Lindsay, your prediction. I know that I should say Dragon Slayer, but I'm just yearning for a Blade win and for a Blade to show up and do, you know, what what we've kind of expected to see from it this season. So I, I feel like we've been voting with my heart <laughs> this entire night and let's just keep that trend going. And I'm going to say Blade. Okay. Kyle, take us home. Are you going to be voting with your heart or your head uh, for Blade versus Dragon Slayer? Yeah, I cannot fathom that poor Chuck and his wife and his family would load up the car and drive all the way here from Korea and not win a single fight. So <laughs> I do I do want to go with Blade on this one. All right, good. I also appreciate the uh, the callback, Kyle. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right, that wraps up this week's edition of Snap Decisions. Look for our post on Facebook later today to send us your predictions.
After the break, our interview with Joe Fabiani, sponsored by MaxAmps. This interview is brought to you by MaxAmps and the company's new exclusive line of combat robotics batteries called Max Combat. Max Combat battery packs are built in the U.S. and designed for both durability and performance for combat robotics. Max Combat batteries come with custom wraps, including your team's logo, internal hard skins for extra protection, puncture-resistant wire sleeves, and a custom metal Max box for charging and storage. Check out the Max Combat section at MaxAmps.com. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, SME Captain Joe Fabiani. Joe is one of our favorite builders in the sport because he's not afraid to explore unconventional bot designs. Those have included concepts like the fire penguin, square wheels, hole saws for locomotion, tall robots, flail bots, and of course, the incredibly wide bot, SME. Sadly, Joe is retiring heavyweight SME after this season and says he plans to go back to the drawing board before reapplying to BattleBots with a brand new design. He's also one of a growing number of captains who has spoken up publicly about the cost to compete at BattleBots and how that could impact the future of the sport. We're looking forward to getting into all of these topics in the hour ahead. So welcome back to the show, Joe. Hey guys, how's it going? It's great to be back. I am so happy that you're back. I love SME. Like, I am a SME stan, and it breaks my heart, Joe, that you are thinking about retiring SME, or that you have, you've made the decision to retire SME. I was thinking maybe right here at the top, we could do like a little SME appreciation, kind of SME breakdown for all of the SME fans out there. Um, season 6 SME, can you describe the robot and how it changed compared to rookie season SME, some of the improvements that you made because your two fights so far this season have been incredible and really like those improvements really show for for the fans. Um, can you break down what season six SME, um, the, uh, the, the differences, I guess, in, in the bot? Yeah. So this year um, it may look very similar on the outside dimension wise, but Every single thing has been improved from the, uh, the weapon motors are larger. The weapon drive system has changed to have more slip to it so that they, um, they don't stall out and they recover more quickly. Um, the drive motors are about twice as big. They are the ones we wanted to use last year, but probably for the best, we didn't use them because we probably wouldn't have been able to handle that much power anyway. Um, our wheels are custom molded with, um, with uh, silicone, we're one of the only teams to use silicone wheels because it's so uh, it's so soft. It tends to tear up, but we use so much of it that we have like incredible, incredible amounts of grip. Um, beyond that, we have uh, all new chassis. Before our, our top and bottom panels were uh, plastic, and now they're bent aluminum. Um, thanks, Suncut Send. And um, we also, um, since we have that, we can now mount the weapons on top or on the bottom. Before, it was kind of a sketchy uh, proposition to put the weapons on top because the top panel that would be supporting them would be plastic and they had the potential to pop out. In fact, um, the bottom was two for half the last season until one popped out against Pain Train. So that's now totally reworked. So that doesn't happen again. Um, the internals are look entirely different um, from everything is now... Um, for now shock mounted um in custom uh, 3d printed um, enclosures the switches are different um and the goal here basically was just to bring SME at its best to every fight like you, I, I think last year you could see some pretty good performance for fleeting moments and for for most of the last two fights but for the first couple of fights it was kind of a, a sloggy robot um 
And we wanted it to be snappy and to really have its full potential all the time, whether it won or lost. I wouldn't want to look back on it and say, hey, that was driving too slow. That wasn't turning fast enough. That was dying out randomly or anything like that. I um so I guess for like the really hardcore fans who know lighter weight versions of SME at Norwalk Havoc and other competitions, I mean seeing season six SME, especially this most recent SME in the fight against Gigabyte, really kind of brought back that like that like that classic classic kind of SME performance. I, I know that every time I see the lighter versions of that robot at Norwalk Havoc, I know that I'm in for a great fight. The drive is fantastic. The like pushing power is really great. Um, so, I mean, like the, those improvements must've really felt good, um, you know, for you seeing, seeing its performance this season, right? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people have asked like, why this didn't move like a little one. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And most of the reasons I can't really like, um, I can't really account for on my budget. Like the, the little SME is made of titanium. Its motors are like half the weight. It's like absurdly powerful. It's pushing a thousand Watts of power, which is for a three pound robot is enough to like send it flying into the air if it gets full grip. Um, whereas big SME, like to do that would be pretty exotic in nature. Um, but the idea that, especially with the, with the hard wedge to kind of, um, capture some of that bouncy, like giggly energy it has, where it's just kind of like coming at you from all sides and not really seeming to, uh, to take much damage until it really, really does anyway. Um, I think if, if people saw that with that wedge, I think that was what we were going for. And I hope that transferred it through in a very different engineering sense, um, the methods were different, but hopefully the result was the same. All right, I I I, I have to imagine that that you get like so much cool fan like mail and um, like drawings of Smee and you know kids dressing up Smee for Halloween stuff like that. Um, you know, selling Smee merch and that and all that kind of stuff. So I guess the question is, the robot is improving. The robot is beloved. Why are you retiring the robot at the end of season six? Because everyone else is improving too. And the space for a robot like SME in BattleBots gets smaller every year. It was smaller this year than it was last year. There are less robots that are unique enough to have weaknesses. So when it comes to like a robot that has um, an exposed weapon like Mammoth or exposed wheels like Deep Six, those are ambitious robots. And we beat them because we exploited weaknesses that are inherent to that ambition. And Every year, I think we see less robots like that. Like, if you, if we say we 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 beat Deep Six, and then we have to fight, um, we have to fight a robot now that doesn't have exposed wheels. It's like that 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 the space that Smee had to exist has now closed. Um, and I think the way things have gone, I don't think that space is necessarily going to open again. So while I can make it faster, I can make the weapons better, and I'm sure I could. There's a, n- a number of things. Any of that, I always come back with. I could make this better. I could make this better. I could redesign this. I would probably go with a, a billet chassis, just like uh, like Shatter or, or Duck um, has perf- have perfected. Um, but at the end of the day, am I going to have improved enough to start beating robots that don't have exposed wheels or have wheels that i can't even destroy like the wheels in this in this in this sport have gotten so much better even in the past two years like people went from running like colson's to uh which are like off the shelf kind of cartwheels which shatter when you breathe on them to everyone's running um vulcanized rubber wheels which we had custom made in china this year as well um applied to a couple of the teams actually so it's like you you build a robot to um to fight a certain field and that field necessarily doesn't stay that way and that's something to say I always go there to win, but I like, I think the fun of SME is knowing that it's probably going to lose, but it has that fleeting chance of winning. And 
to me, that's kind of the joy of competing is not building something that you think is going to win, but that you know, in some, in some bizarre scenario, will win a fight and it will be hilarious and it will make someone really, really mad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, you, you're a big fan of unconventional designs. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm interested in kind of like hearing your take philosophically, I guess, on the direction of BattleBots, um, you know, like we are, we're centralizing around essentially the end game meta, which is like ridiculously long forks so that I can turn my four wheel drive vertical spinner into a control bot. And um, I am now a uh, completely yeah, unkillable tank and uh, one hit and uh, you're going to go flying across the arena. And like for me, and I would love to get your take on this, um, that just sucks all of the um, the tension out of the show for me because I know that when Endgame gets into the box, it is going to be this super long fork kind of destructive robot. And if there is any, like if if they are against anything that is not its exact replica, um, it's it's going to win probably. You know, like statistically, it's got like a ninety percent chance of winning. Which just I don't know, like it kind of sucks like the sport part out of the show for me um i i'd love to get your take i don't know i I feel like that's maybe kind of a brutal brutal analysis of the current state of the meta and like the direction of the show but um yeah i mean your 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 thoughts on that yeah um i think i guess it was like two years ago now the first time i came on this podcast you asked me um you asked me why i like to build unconventional bots and it kind of like hit me like i don't really have an answer for that question and and I got asked in a BattleBots fight interview where I didn't have an answer then. And this year they asked me again. And I guess it kind of came to me all of a sudden, like when I grew up and I was watching Robot Wars with my dad, it seemed like a place where anything could succeed if you implemented it well and tried hard. Like you could go there and see something new every week. You could see something else succeeding. You could see people not taking it seriously and still win. Um, you could see a robot with fur over it, pushing some highly optimized box into the pit and just walking away with the win. And I, I can't say that didn't affect the way I see the world in general. The idea that you don't have to um, optimize someone else's solution that they've already come to. But we are getting to the point at BattleBots where it, we no longer have that choice. Like we no longer, I can no longer judge someone who wants to build a vertical spinner and put a different uh, color scheme on it because it's like, you, you're going to do that or you're going to get obliterated. And then you, you, people say, okay, well, someone needs, needs to come up with a way to counter this meta. And to me, that's kind of a cop out because like, say you're playing, say you're playing a video game or a board game or whatever. And one strategy just seems to obliterate all the other strategies. Like say you play rock, paper, scissors, and let's say that rock smashes paper. So rock now beats everything. You don't complain about the people. You don't complain about uh, the rock or the paper or the scissors. You complain about the rules of the game. Like something has to change within the confines of battle bots, within the confines of the arena, within the rules, because this is all a construct that's been created and it can be changed, in my opinion. The, um, the rules um, that were going to be implemented in, uh, in China um, for KOB, they made very many mistakes. But the one thing that I think was absolutely genius with it is that they were trying to set a minimum weight for vertical spinners. Meaning if you want to build a vertical spinner, it has to have a 70-pound weapon. So you can't have a compact, perfectly optimized box if you want to have a vertical weapon. You need to have like not necessarily deep six that's heavier, but like something that is extreme and ambitious. And 
to me, that's the most optimum solution. Rather than trying to limit you, you basically, and it doesn't have to be that or anything else. That's just an example. But trying to force people to look beyond pure optimization and look towards um, solutions that can be entertaining and different when they when they win, where it's not two boxes to each other and then one eventually stops working, which is like, and there's great fights like that. But th- now, like, how do you even like sort them? They're all the same. Every single time, it's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I love the, the, um, that element of surprise that we had in earlier, earlier seasons in earlier iterations of combat robot shows that, that feeling like I'm looking at something that I might be able to build, you know, like that is so cool. You know, when, when you look at something on TV and you're like, I think I could build that in my garage. Like, like I kind of want to, like like turn this this lawnmower that i have into a robot that sounds really cool you know um and i don't know i think we're 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 losing something and i don't i don't know if like if the best version of this show is every robot is a different colored like end game you know or like they just find every single family in america that's willing to build a spider-shaped robot that shoots silly string outside of its butt. You know what I mean? To just get destroyed every single week. You know, like, I don't know. I, I think there's a finite number of those types of builders out there who are just like, yes, I will build something and I'll go 0-3 and, 3 and um, I, you'll never see me in the top 32 and like, please accept me, you know, like uh, to the selection committee. I don't know. Like that, that part concerns me about like the future of the sport. Um, any other thoughts on this? I mean, I guess, oh, well, I mean, I should ask you while I, while I have you, like on the spot cornered um what are you building next can you talk about it have you catted it are you going to apply to season seven let's break some news joe fabiani or um is it too early you know um i have not applied yet um i'm waiting to see how the season shaped up how it's going to look um but i do have a completely catted heavyweight that is something that has never been seen before a new method of locomotion that's never been used in any weight class i don't think what um but that's going to be fast. That's going to drive in a very interesting way. Like it's not going to be slow or mumbling, but it's going to be something new. So I'll say that. And um, uh, in a lot of ways, it's going to be easier on me. Cause <laughs> I think, um, I think I've had enough of the big robots, to be honest. I think uh, the strain of getting them in and out of my apartment building has gotten to be a bit much. So uh, it's going to be smaller. <laughs> that's still one thing I'll say. Interesting. Wow. Joe, I can't wait to see the CAD. Um, that sounds really cool. I'm also really sad that Chris is not here with us today because he's got to like work on this big work project for tomorrow um, because he is also a lover of like really unconventional bots. Like back in November at Norwalk, he brought Darkseid. Um, and I feel like Darkseid is very much like a bot after your own heart. And um, he's building a new robot for May Norwalk that is... Totally unconventional locomotion. You've never seen a robot like this before, but it's not small and compact, Joe. It is massive. It's even larger than, um, <laughs> I think, any other robot that's ever built, you know, like for the 30 pound. Um, and uh, I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to to reveal it, but um, you should definitely talk to Chris because you're, you're going to love what, what he's cooking up. Yeah, I'm super excited for uh, for May Norwalk. That's the, uh, the unconventional. You have to build a new, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've got something for that as well. Oh, you are. Oh my goodness, Joe. I love it. Um, okay. Is this part on air or not? 
Yes, this we're still recording. Do you do you want to tell us or no? Is it a secret? It's <laughs> no, no, a secret. Okay. okay. Um, it's, <laughs> right. uh, I, I, I'm building. I'm building a. I'm building a new crusher. Hopefully, this one will not have to use square wheels to make weight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good. Um, very quickly, I would love to to get into cost. I mean, it is a perennial topic, and I feel like the topic is is just so intertwined with the question of design as well. Um, and I could probably talk about this for an hour, but um, I won't bore you to death with like my thoughts on this. But like, um, I heard that Smee is one of the the most inexpensive robots to build. You know, for BattleBots. How much did it cost you out of pocket um, for season six? What were you able to uh, raise in terms of sponsorships? And um, generally, you know, your thoughts about the direction of cost in the sport? Yeah. So um, I don't think it's a secret that BattleBots gets a lot more expensive every year. Um, and for many robots, that's great. They get more reliable. They get to use more... Um, more exotic building methods where all the robots basically built into one giant chunk of aluminum and things break less easily. But on the other side of that, I don't really desire to have that much on the line. I'm, I'm here to have fun. So with that, with that in mind, um, last year, I think we spent, I, I think I spent rather, um, around 4,500 on SME entirely. And we had one robot. Um, most of it was hand cut in my apartment. We hand drilled our own side rails, um, and Sen Cut Sen came in very late and very clutch with our weapon discs. But this year, we wanted to bring not only that robot back in better shape, um, upgraded a lot of things with help from our motor sponsors, um, Free RC Hobby and Robot Matter. Um, they uh, gave us new drive motors, and then we were able to use our over our old weapon or our, our old drive motors in our weapons. So basically everything happened to get more powerful in that whole transition. Um, Sencut Sen was involved from the very beginning. So we had, um, they were, they graciously cut us a, a lot of bent aluminum. I'm not entirely sure how much it would have cost outside of, without their help. Um, but even with that, the, the, just merely the fact that I'm laser cutting things and not, um, seeing, seeing them or even, um, like, uh, bending more exotic metals is, puts me pretty far behind in terms of budget. So this year, I think the total budget, um, including sponsorship was probably around $6,000, um, for two robots, wow. including the new wedge. The, the robot at, that you saw go against megabyte was probably like only of $2,000 in total. Like the, uh, if you want to go to send cut send right now and <laughs> cut that wedge out, it's like $900. You could do it. That's how cheap it is. Um, wow. And wow. how good their service, yeah. So to put that in perspective, um, we try to I try to improve as many things as I could without just uh, rebuilding everything. So we reused as much as we could, and um, still hand drilled our own side rails instead of getting them CNC'd on my crappy little drill press. Um, and the end result, I think, whether it comes across in the fights, I don't know because the both fights have been kind of odd in, in their nature. The robot is massively more powerful uh the weapons are way way more reliable when um gigabyte doesn't happen to shatter our weapon motors right off the bat um but at the end of the day you're up against robots that are also increasing in cost um and sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate i hope it has i guess yeah 
Yeah. Um, one last question before I turn it over to Kyle. Um, you know, why do you think that cost is such a big topic in this sport right now? Um, and as a builder, what is it that fans don't fully understand about cost? You know, when when you kind of read threads online about the rising cost of of the robots and how BattleBots doesn't really support you um, in covering that cost. Um, you know why? Why, why is why is that an issue? I guess um, from from your perspective. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I guess I'd say that uh, Paul Ventimiglia from ByteForce has a very very detailed post on this um, from someone who's been around a lot longer than I have. So in addition to what I was about to say, you should read that as well. Um, and from my perspective, the issues are these. Um, most of the funding for these robots that's not out of pocket comes from sponsors. However, these sponsors cannot be large enough that Discovery sees them as competition. So if I want if I want to get sponsored by, say, like a power tool brand, and they want to give me as much money as they give like a C-list race car team, that would be like the biggest budget in BattleBots, but they can't do it because they're a brand that would advertise on Discovery Channel. So we then have to look to other other size companies, which don't have the marketing budgets to just drop, usually to just drop a bunch of like hard cash on funding a team because they're inherently smaller. So then I guess the logical conclusion is, okay, we need to look for sponsors that have what we need. So we have a sponsor Polytech that they make silicone. Uh, so we, they got they gave us a bunch of silicone for our wheels. Send cuts, send cuts our metal. We got motors, motor sponsors. But at the end of the day, like when it comes to everything that's not, um, you can't build a robot with one sponsor for everything you need, or you have a thousand sponsors. These robots are very, very complicated. So you have to pick and choose. You have to um, have to be very careful about, about that. And for some teams, they can market themselves and they can raise that money. But then at the end of the day, they're just putting in a ton of um, time and basically marketing, marketing expertise to advertise for a TV channel. TV channels are ostensibly supposed to be that's their business is advertising. That's how Discovery Channel makes money. Like, why are a bunch of nerdy engineers the ones who are going to these companies and asking them, "Can you give us money?" Like, this is so backwards, in my opinion. It's and it reflects poorly on the robots too, because if I'm spending half my time uh, trying to raise money that I could be spending making my robot better, this 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 could be better for everyone. This could be better for the show. This could be better for the um, for the for the for the fights, like you could see robots that could fight harder because they know they aren't like mortgaging their house to pay for these things. You know what I mean? Like, um, and that's, that's where, that's where I would say the, the, the bulk of the issue lies is in the fact that we, and for another, another thing is that fans don't tend to know that we, the prize money is very limited. Like you see, um, the amounts that are said on like the bounty hunters, we, that there's like a 20,000, this, that price pool, but like it, it's not, there's not, and it's, it's not for one team. And at the end of the day, there's 60 teams. So, and the team that does get there has probably spent far more than that just to get to the end, you know, to fight like eight, eight or nine fights. You know what I mean? So I guess when fans find out about this, like what, wait, what? I didn't realize that's how the show was working. And to see the reactions that fans have given um, after some teams have come forward with this has been really heartwarming because it's like, you don't just see us as like trying to, trying to get an extra dime out of this. Like we're, 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 we're not trying to make a living. We're just, we're just trying to feel like 
we are valued as part of the show as much as anything else is. Yeah, very well said. Joe, um, I'm going to turn it over to Kyle. But before uh, before I go, I just want to say you're one of my favorite builders. I love seeing what you build. Um, I know that every time that you step into the box, especially with something new, I am going to be delighted and I'm going to be intrigued. Sometimes I'm baffled, but um, it's always like a real joy to, to see your builds. So um, keep on uh, keep it on in the sports. And um, I really love that you're part of it. And I hope that you stay in it for uh, for a long time. Thank you. Hey, Joe, good to talk to you again. So I have a couple of questions from our fans. We're going to start with Alexander Archer. Um, so he says, what do you think BattleBots can do to try to reduce the astronomical financial costs of getting the opportunity to even compete? I know that sponsorship is something that you already brought up, but is there something BattleBots could do more directly to help reduce the costs? That's a great question. Um, a lot of teams have put forward the question of, do you do we want to reduce the cost to compete? Like put caps on how much teams spend. That's a thing in a lot of racing series and this and that. I don't necessarily think that's what we want. I think if a team wants to take, uh, take whatever budget the show has and run with it and make something bizarre and incredible, I think that's for the best of everyone. But I would, I would like, instead of that, to see there be a baseline. Like I would like to see if, if Rusty wants to come and, or if any other team wants to come and build something small, that's, that's, that's new and different. They can do it on a low budget, which is possible. Like you can build a robot for less than $10,000. And that's, that's less than King of bots was handing out, you know, like we don't necessarily need to raise the ceiling, but we do need to raise the floor. Like we need, we need to have a baseline to, exist on and that would be my priority before i worry about like what the most well-funded teams are able to raise or whatever they're able to fund like at the end of the day being able to build a robot is is awesome and if it, it sucks when you're not able to anymore for a lot of teams and maybe for me in the future yeah that that makes a lot of sense honestly yeah i don't think anybody wants a financial cap that wouldn't be fun um but yeah, a baseline, like a, like a universal basic bot stipend, right? That's, that's really what we're looking for here. Um, all right. So next question comes from Kikoto Maine. He starts by saying, Joe Mama. I don't know what that means. I'm hoping you do. I do not, but I do like that guy. Yeah. He's funny. We, we like him a lot. Um, so he asks, how is Spooky Bite Bite coming along? So Spooky Bite Bite is my attempt to make a, uh, a crusher work in the three pound weight class. I brought it once with round wheels and it just, it just sucked. So um, someone mentioned in the, uh, in the discord for uh, Norwalk Havoc that they asked, they asked if, uh, if square wheels would be allowed to have a weight bonus. And in a last ditch effort to make the robot work, I put square wheels on it and it was terrible, but and I made a lot of people mad um i thought it was funny because i wasn't trying to win and it didn't win it went zero and two because inherently a crusher needs to have really really good drive it can't be bouncing all over the place um so the crusher as it existed at that point had a ton of crushing power that it couldn't really use maybe 800 pounds i am working on a new one hopefully for the may norwalk i hope people don't hear that and just put a ton of top armor on their robot but um my goal is to make it um using more complicated building materials less 3d printing more titanium and hopefully uh, with as much as I've learned, I can get the weight down enough that I won't need to <laughs> experiment with some new wheel geometry. Yeah, I remember that. That was really funny drama. Okay, so this next question from Kikoto is one that I was wondering about today too, because 
I just rewatched this video with my kids. So he says, do you have any involvement on Team Doomba? Um, which I don't believe is the team name, but it is the robot's name. Um, who's applying for season seven? I ask this because in the application video, Doomba was using one of the SME discs. So what's up with that? What's up with that? Well, the SME disc is by far the best disc geometry in the world because it has so many E's on it. And other teams frequently come to us and they say, can I borrow your E's? Um, we needed to win. And so they reached out and they realized like they have a very, very cool robot. It's very unconventional, but they need some ease. So I gave them the, uh, the, uh, the 2d file for the SME disc on the condition that they maintain the same number of ease. And as such, um, their robot will absolutely win, uh, at BattleBots this year. That is obviously the answer. And I really do appreciate that. I said, all right, this is my last question, um, but this one isn't a question. I just wanted to say I'm really going to miss Heavyweight Smee. It was such a fun, crazy design that never failed to entertain. Sad to hear it's retiring, but I wish you the best of luck in whatever you choose to bring to BattleBots next. Oh, that's really sweet. That's very nice. I, I do appreciate it. And um, this, this is my first year um, having, having a, a live audience. And it was completely wild, like walking out and seeing seeing like the whole top row of the audience had just every person had their own E. It was me all the way across the top row. It was wild to know that many people like cared about the robot. Um, and if I thought that bringing it back would bring them what they want to see out of it, I totally would. But I think ultimately, um, I think what it, what it had a good run and I appreciate every moment that it had, um, and I hope people did too. I think it means a lot when people say things like that. That is really, yeah, that's heartwarming. That's wholesome goodness. Um, by the way, I did just fact check myself. The team behind Doomba is is called Team Hot Mess, uh, which cracks me up because Ricky at one point was a member of a team called Team Poor Life Choices. And I'm glad he is continuing on in that naming theme. Um, all right. So we're going to move on to a question from James B. This is a really fun question. Is there an op opponent that you would consider SME was the wrong configuration for? And if so, do you have the option to bolt the two halves together directly and fight as a shorter SME? That is a great question. We, with, um, with either wedge, have the option to do that. Um, however, I think with SME, there's almost no turning back. Once you get, once you get something that's like SME-like, you basically you don't benefit from getting shorter, but you do benefit from getting wider. So like if I got shorter, the weapons would still be small for heavyweight because I have so much weight in the connecting piece, whatever, whether it's the wedge or the, uh, the steel wall. And I, I couldn't, I, I didn't have our, I don't think there's a way within the confines of the existing design to take that weight and put it elsewhere. But if I am wider, it's harder for say megabyte to get to a drive pod or it's easier for me to wrap around to a wheel. I don't think there's an opponent that I can think of where that wouldn't be true in some capacity. Not that there's a way for me to win against so many opponents, but I always think I would have the best chance with it being as wide as it is just because that's how the robot is, um, how the robot's been conceived. Yeah. And that's what makes it such a challenge for um, the, the competitors to try to figure out how to beat it. So yeah, that makes sense. Um, so our next question comes from Ryan Hunter. Um, so he asks, are you bringing little Smee to Norwalk this year, or are you going to try out some new designs at smaller weight classes 
Will we see a preview for your heavyweight at a smaller weight class? Is that possible? Mm. I'm a big fan when I build a heavyweight of doing absolutely no testing at smaller weight classes. For instance, heavyweight SME, the bending mechanism, I never tried it at a lower weight. Um, Button Lee, the flails, which were a huge what if, is it going to work or not? But I never tested a smaller scale. So what I have, I don't think I'll build a smaller version of it. And um, as to whether I'll be at Norwalk, I think so, yeah. Um, I've um, There's uh, a number of new improvements, especially to SME, that I've made. I still need to figure out how to really, really screw up the arena with the Penguin. Um, I, I switched the Penguin over to... Um, to butane after the incident, but in in the small arena, um, there's so much airflow that being by the side and trying to light the fire is really hard, and it never really um, causes much anger or drama as I wanted it to. And so I was I'm looking back into converting back into uh, liquid at least in, in storage. When you spray it out, it becomes an aerosol, but um, liquid fuel. The fun fact about Little Smee is when I burned uh, that panel of Lexan and a hole in the floor and the camera with the penguin um it was running about half the fuel of the current limit after they instituted after that event so you will if i am back hopefully be able to see some fire (laughs) if sneak comes back anyway i love that so much of your goal at um norwalk right now is to troll austin mccord i think that's great and you do a wonderful job at it and i really appreciate that about you um, so our next question comes from Lindsay Urico. Um, she says, can you compare your experience at Norwalk to BattleBots? What are some things you like and didn't like about both experiences? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the thing I like about BattleBots the most is the time when the robots are all fixed and you have time to hang out with your friends. Like some of my friends, uh, this year, um, we, we drove out into the desert um, onto like a salt flat lake bed thing and spent the night there, totally impromptu. Um, and so that being at a multi-day event when everyone has time to rest and many people's schedules line up, it's it makes for some pretty special um, social scenarios. The, uh, the circumstance of fighting heavyweight is wildly different than anything else. They drive differently. Being smaller than them is a huge thing. Like you're not looking down on them. And it's something that I actually struggle with when I'm like, I'm, I'm lining up my box fresh and it's like the other robot is not even in my field of view. It's all the way over there. So I would say the circumstance of BattleBots being there for two weeks, that makes it uh, special in its own way. What I don't like about BattleBots, I think um, the production side of it is something that I've never really enjoyed. I like building the robot. I kind of like driving the robot, but mostly, I, and, I, and I like fixing the robot, but um, the show is uh, <laughs> secondary in a way. And that's, that's true for a lot of builders. Um, I love, the live audience, I loved. I loved interacting with the fans later, but um, being on camera, having to like put on a good face and a good uh, performance is is difficult for us because we're not um, as as skilled as that as you are. Um, for Norwalk, I think the best thing about it is it's like it's so free flowing and low investment. I love how the rules are um, pliable when you need them to be and strict when you when you want them to be, and. I love how it's just one day, like you go and you fight it out. And if you get too far and you don't want to continue, like last time I got to third place and I was like, I, I I'm kind of hungry. And we all went for sushi and so I just forfeited out of the competition. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and I guess the biggest thing about Norwalk is that it does start to go on pretty long into the night now, which is difficult because you do start to lose that kind of social uh, 
interaction between other builders, between new builders, between fans that you you go out to the same restaurants afterwards, that kind of thing, when everyone is staring at their robot at one in the morning. Um, that would, and I don't know how to improve that. I think Nor- Norwalk is doing an excellent job. I really appreciate um, that. Austin sees the the viewer uh, benefit in me me <laughs> messing things up for him, and I hope he continues to allow me to come to his event. Yeah, uh, one thing that you could say about Austin is he appreciates shenanigans and supports shenanigans and encourages that at his event, which I think is great. Um, all right, so Pain Train team member Alex Peza he says, "What's up, Joe? How are you, man?" I know you have a lot of weird wheels in the past, as well as some other forms of strange locomotion like Smeezus. Um, do you have any plans for new wheels or projects in 2022? First of all, please explain Smeezus to us. So Smeezus is a, um, an 18-pound under, undercutter robot that uses four hole saws that face downwards for locomotion. Um, the primary reason I built this is because I really... I, 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 kind of despise the fork meta and i think uh i don't like just complaining about things then doing nothing where i can just bring a robot that's just going to mess up the floor and do basically nothing else so it um it, it didn't work the best although it did qualify for the finals somehow um i have new wheels that aren't whole saw based but are the same principle hopefully a little bit more destructive to the floor and hopefully a little bit more durable so i can destroy the floor for longer in every in every fight um as for the heavyweight i think he will be happy if I get to build what I'm building next um, with the wheel wheels, so to speak, on that. Um, square wheels were merely um, <laughs> a uh, an effort to get a robot that probably shouldn't be three pounds into the three pound bracket where it didn't do well anyway. I don't think I uh, would ever do that in a competitive sense, and I don't think I'm going to do it again. It was fun while it lasted, I guess. All right, so our next question comes from huge team member and uh, frequent judge, uh, as well as competitor at Norwalk Havoc, Don Dorfler. He asks, is Smeezy season approaching? <laughs> he he was teasing me for like a year until I brought Smeezy's that uh, I kept not, not finishing it or was overweight or this or that. And I kept saying Smeezy season was approaching and it was always approaching, always approaching, then it finally arrived. And now I guess it's back to being approaching. So hopefully maybe in March it'll <laughs> it'll arrive again. Um, so next question is from P1 team member Anthony D'Ambrosio. He said, how did you settle on a penguin? I have a very similar question. Why is it a fire penguin? What, what's the deal with that? That is a a great question. Um, the answer, I think, conceptually has to do with the fact, well, that's not necessarily uh, PG uh, rated. Um Penguins do tend to defecate projectile onto each other. And this the, the general nature of the penguin uh, shooting fire from where it does. It, it is suitable for um, <laughs> the animal that it is. A lot of these ideas do come from late night uh, Discord calls with other builders. And it's hard to quite tell where one idea originated and where it began. I think it was Tommy and Izzy uh, on the call at that point. I do remember Izzy explaining to us this now that I think back to that call. Uh, that we had with you guys about uh, waterproof sealant, a.k.a. caulk. Um, all right, so next question comes from Mason Runkle. Great name, Runkle. Um, so th- we asked you this last time. You get asked this in every interview. You get asked this in every AMA. You get asked this pretty much anytime you're on the internet. What is the official spelling of SME, and how many E's am I supposed to use when I spell it? Um. There was a couple years where I just said 
a different number, an arbitrary number every single time. And I think it's time to give SME back to the people and they can now decide how many E's they think it should have. And they can stop arguing in Facebook that, no, it actually has 19 E's, but the beta weight has 22 E's. <laughs> I think I think now it's it's up to you guys. Um, that's unfortunate. I was I had a lot of fun well actuallying people on the internet about that for a long time. But oh, you were one of them. Yeah, oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. If I can well actually somebody about something arbitrary, I'm going for it. <laughs> uh, all right. So Shuntcast co-host Dale Bruce he says, uh, "Will your next idea have way too many e's or other vowels in the name?" I think um, that is a question that now makes me reconsider my name. Maybe it would be fun to have a robot with no vowels at all. I think the, uh, you know what? That's a promise. If I come back to BattleBots, the robot will have no vowels in its name. Yes. We decided right now because of whoever asked that question. I forgot your name already. <laughs> it was Dale Bruce. Dale Bruce from the Shunt cast. Uh, he's Thank you, like Dale. one of the. You've now helped me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh dale also is kind enough to make all of the memes for the spoiler threads in both shut posting and on the BattleBots group he's great um all right so this one comes from Corey lawrence i don't know why he's asking this question i think it seems pretty obvious but he says is the beetle SME or heavyweight SME harder to drive Ooh, i would say definitely Ooh, that's difficult the more i think about it because people a lot of people do struggle when I hand the controller. Very people actually have driven it, and very people, even fewer, have driven. I don't think anyone's really driven the heavyweight successfully, except for me, because it wants to fold it on itself at all times. It's like you have to do this kind of wiggle when you start moving, so that it doesn't just accelerate and then close. Um, so, I would say the heavyweight is harder just because it does things you don't necessarily expect. Like there's this one moment in the deep six fight after they. Uh, their fork unfortunately goes into the kill saw slot that the whole robot uh, drives sideways, which is something that's like, I knew it could do it. And then I saw the drive pods were like that and then it does it. So there's a lot of nuance to driving the heavyweight in that it behaves in ways that no other robot behaves. And it's like no experience with other robots is going to help you drive that. So I would say the heavyweight, but on the beetleweight side, that thing is like really, really fast and very bouncy. So it wants to go, I think it's top speed is like 35 miles an hour now. And the titanium wedge is um, is very, very like uh, springy. So if you accelerate fast enough, it will just bounce into the air. Or if you're pushing someone, you push too hard, you'll just bounce up and go into their weapon. So that's hard in the sense that it's just challenging on its own on its own terms. But I'm sure like someone who drives a really fast robot could drive the Beetleweight Smee without issue. I think Tommy from Droopy has driven it or driven um, a similar. I think that boring my vertical spinner that's similar to Smee. Um, he drove that after a little bit of practice pretty well. This is a, this is a question for me, uh, just because I've had to say this name so much while announcing it. Why is that bot named boring? What is boring about that bot? Um, to me, it's boring because it is a vertical spinner and it's inherently a compromise. It was after an event where, um, I was asked politely to take the lifter off of me and make an actual weapon. So <laughs> the name is ultimately a response to that. However, people have repeatedly told me that the robot is not boring to watch. I think that largely owes to the drive more than the, um, the vertical spinner. I think it's basically, it's, to me, it's fun for the same reasons to me is fun. Like the spinner is pretty small just because it 
can't be. Smith's drive is so heavy that I don't have much weight left over for a real weapon. And it's, um, to me, it's, it's just not as fun as me to drive or to fight with. And if people like it, that's cool, but I might not. <laughs> yeah. I have always thought of that disc as a bit of a, a wino, a weapon in name only. Um, but yeah. Okay. That's a good explanation. I like it. Is it okay? And this is another question just for me. Is it okay that I call those forks your fingerling forks when we're doing the announcing? They look like little fingers. I think they're so cute, but I don't know what you call them. I think I call them wedgelets, but the fingerling forks things is ingrained in my mind after so many times being by the box while you're announcing my fights, um, especially after cock. Um, it, uh, so they, they, when, they, when they come into play, I hear the fingerling forks and I'm like, yeah, they're working. I'm like, are they working? And it's like fingerling forks. No. So I think that's awesome. Uh, I think any, I think we, if every robot is going to become a giant uh, wedgelet fest, I think we're going to have to come up with other names for wedgelets. Like, you know, Eskimos have like so many words, I think like 30 words for, for snow, so different words <laughs> describe snow differently. I think if BattleBots is going to become as much wedgelets as snow are, snow is to Eskimos, then maybe we do need many, many more words for them. So this is a question from David Marchetti about heavyweights me. Do you feel Smee would be more successful without the mandatory active weapon rule? The three pound works wonders, but scaled up, it seems to make con concessions. If you could get away with it, would you skip those cutting discs and go with more of a wedgie Smee? The short answer I would say is yes, in that I could build, I could, I could definitely spend a lot more energy on making the drive as good relative to its weight class as it is in the beetle weight class. So. The counterpoint to that, though, is that BattleBots really wouldn't let a robot without a weapon win. Like, even robots that are lifters struggle to win. Um, so it's kind of a, a toss-up of, like, do I want to go and win in, uh, in name only, or in um, rather lose in name only? Like, would, I, would, I, would it be fun? Yeah, but they wouldn't let me back in if I did that. Or, like, I just think ultimately it's not what they want to see. Even if I think it would make a more entertaining robot for SME, I have to acknowledge the fact that if you were then to um, make a more conventional wedge bot, that would, might not be what the audience wants. So you have to take rules as a collective rather than as an individual in a way, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, Joe, it's been lovely talking to you. I'm going to uh, give you over to the good hands of Lindsay. Hey, Joe. Welcome back again. So I think you might have answered this already, but uh, this question is from Lachlan Farrell, who wants to know, what materials is the wedge made from? Um, if we're talking about the heavyweight, the wedge is AR400. It's solid quarter-inch steel all the way across. It'll stop bullets. It will basically feel like it's um, uh, unmovable, unbreakable object when you hold it with your hands. But when you have so much of it so far apart, um, it's, it's like, it's, it's rubber or it's like, um, it just, it's so, it becomes so springy. And then, uh, when we were running up to that, to the fight where we started using it for the first time, I would say five or six builders came and said, that's the wrong choice. It's going to break, or it's just, it's not gonna, it's not gonna work the way you think. And I was like, no, this is going to bend. Cause I can, you can feel it almost. If you start to wobble it back and forth with your hand, you could feel that it, it suddenly stops behaving as if it's the steel that it is. Um, in the case of the small, the small weight, um, it is, um, it used to be UHMW. It actually used to be cut out of a spare piece that I had from, uh, 
the robot I bought to, brought to China, um, it, the wheels for that, I've cut a, a, a side little piece off and I just kept making wedges out of that. And eventually I ran out of that. So I was like, okay, what's the optimal way to do this? And I think the optimal way to make a smee wedge is titanium. However, if I would want to do that with a heavyweight, I think it would be absurdly expensive, probably all one piece. Um, and on a logistical level that I don't have access to, like, I don't know how SME and nature only gets out of my apartment in pieces. I couldn't, um, if I wanted to make it, uh, as I want to titanium, all one piece, I'm not sure how it would ever get to the venue. It would be, uh, it'd be funny to watch you try, but yeah. <laughs> um, so this question is from Michael Wise. It looked like on the discs on SME, the teeth on the discs seem to be different sizes. Is that just how it is or the angle that I saw it? Um, and if it is, how are they made with different lengths of teeth? What are the reasons behind that? That's a great question. Yeah. So there are three teeth on the new discs. Um, one sticks out a lot farther than the other one. But, and this took a ton of work. The uh, the E script on the, the SME logo is um, balanced with these discs in mind, meaning that if you point that logo in a certain direction um, so that it lines up with the disc, and then you also have some pockets on the, on the big disc itself, it ends up being balanced. So with one big disc and two small, or one big uh, tooth and two small teeth, what you, the advantage you get is you get a lot more bite from the big tooth, but you don't necessarily risk someone coming around and hitting you on the back of your disc where you don't have teeth. So if, if I miss with the, uh, the big tooth and someone has a weapon that's spinning faster than mine or something, I still have a chance of not just taking it uh, broadside. I can also, if they get past the big one, there's also the two small ones in the back. You see the same uh, disc type on, um, on saw blades uh, used to great effect. He has teeth in the back where, um, where it might land with the right conditions. And I think that's a very, very smart idea. That's really cool. And uh, I, that's not something that I had noticed before. So good catch, Michael, for, for seeing that on, on the show. Um, all right. So Andrew Lynch asks, other than being worried Gigabyte would break SME in half, was there another motivation for going with a solid body and overcutters in that fight? So I guess this goes back to the run-up to the season where I wasn't even sure if I was going to bring SME back this year. The main goal this year was to show people something new and to bend in a different way. So the goal, honestly, before was to only run this wedge um, and then to flip to uppercutters upper or undercutters, um, depending on the opponent. The wedge is modular and it can put them at the top of the bottom, depending on what I want. Um, but so the deep six fight just seemed perfect for the old wedge. So I ran that and that. And then it was time to use this one as far as and the, in my uh, exit interview, which they cut. I, I said that, that that's the last time you're going to see this. Me, It's time for the other one now. So there was never really a question in my mind um, going to Megabyte fight that I would be using the solid wedge because I wanted to see what would happen. Like, I didn't think I would win. I, I, I thought there was no hope regardless because SME is designed to exploit weaknesses. And while full body spinners have weaknesses, that weakness is generally that they break and Megabyte or Gigabyte doesn't really seem to break anymore. That robot is, they've done such great work in making it reliable and making it invincible. So I was like, let's just have fun, I guess. Um, so the, the overcutters is a question of... Um, where are the weapons going to be where they're not just going to get torn off immediately? And to me, the incredibly unlikely scenario where I use weapons on top and I hit their shell in a place where there's not a tooth or anything to stop me or hitting their soft riding pole is remote enough or it's significant enough that I would put them up there in the hopes that Megabyte's teeth, which are on the bottom don't hit them and don't break them because they have, I think probably the heaviest weapon at BattleBots. 
and we have probably among the lightest. We're probably on par with like um, a, a robot like Scorpios or Sables or an overhead, like a robot where the uh, the act of the weapon is not the weapon itself. The weapon is attacking from an unseen angle. It's not counting on its size. It's counting on its strategy. So if if you were like asked to ask like uh, Sables, why wouldn't you go into a fight with your weapon down? That's kind of the same thing for me. It's like I, I want to keep them up out of the way of um, the opponent, even if it seems like I'm like taking the easy way out. It's like there's a chance they'll do something then, but I know for a fact if I hit Megabyte with them on the bottom, and I think you did get to see that eventually in that fight, what happens? They just pop off. They're just not not a. Uh, they bent the entire shaft actually when they hit uh, when we got flipped over and I hit them with the bottom. I think the entire um, one and a half inch shaft just bent, which had never happened before um, against any other opponent. Um, and so that was expected to be honest. They're just not, not quite up to snuff. The weight's not there to make them as good as they could be. That being said, I mean, I know it was a bit of an uphill battle, you know, facing a bot like uh, gigabyte, but Smee made it so entertaining. Like that was a memorable fight. So, um, yeah, it was just, that was, that was a really, a really good one. So, uh, thank you for that. Um, so Stephen Egert asks, were there ever plans to use a fixed rigid wedge for heavyweight, heavyweight SME like the Beetleweight uses, uh, but BattleBots wanted to favor using, uh, the use of the weapons instead? I would say the only way we were going to get into the show originally was by using the flexible wedge. So that's what we applied with. Um, and then they said that wasn't even enough. We needed to add spinners as well. And I do get it. Like you don't want to count on one aspect of it being entertaining enough. You need to have um, more tricks up your sleeve. So I guess the this is something that we thought we'd get away with this year because we didn't even tell them about it, but we still thought we could get away with it because first of all, I trusted that it would behave in an entertaining way, especially against a high kinetic energy opponent. And also because um, it is, um, I think we we now know the weapons can do damage in theory. They they did a good a good bit of, bit of damage against uh, Mammoth um, by hitting in unforeseen areas, albeit, but like they still they still work. So um, that was something that we had to work our way up to credibility wise um, to be able to bring that to the uh, to the arena. Um, I would like to. I would have liked to have it be an actual wedge and not a wall that said, because the wall itself is, um, it's not as great for controlling. It's kind of a deflector. Like I couldn't push as well as I wanted to, because I was too busy bouncing everywhere. But that said, I, I, I was happy with uh, how it ended up turning out. All right. So this question is from Pat Maloney and he kind of echoes a lot of the sentiments that other people had in their questions. Um, so you brought Smee to NHRL and after seeing it, are you going to go for a taller bot like huge or mammoth wider than Smee currently is or an idea that we haven't seen it yet? And this kind of echoes Andre Cruz's question. Any plans for wacky robots in the future? Yeah, I promise you that I'm not going to bring a normal robot to BattleBots. That's not, um, just fundamentally not what I'm interested in. Um, however, given the circumstances of where I build these robots, the, the the size of them has been a problem both in terms of, I've managed to do it inside my apartment, um, which isn't large, it's in the middle of Manhattan. But we had problems this year with um, the production staff not thinking we were ready for fights when we were. And I think Hugh just had the same problem in the past of um, the robot 
fundamentally can be in five pieces and then I can put it together in one second and it's ready to go into the arena. So it's difficult conceptually to operate within a structure of um, an event where most robots are the same size, but when you walk up and you see SMEs in pieces, but fundamentally it's almost, it's, it's as ready as it needs to be. But um, I think the size hurt me there this year with scheduling of fights because they didn't think it was ready because it was in pieces. However, they aren't the ones that have to deal with uh, moving it around and working on it when it's all together. And I guess to answer this question, I would love to make a bigger robot. I don't necessarily think that it's in the cards, both in the build process or in the competing process to do it. It's such a strain to get that. We basically put wheels on the, um, on the, on the pit table. Uh, we know how to modify the pit table specifically to have wheels now. And we roll the pit table all the way around, all across concrete, down ramps, uh, into tents, out of tents. Um, and I see people rolling around their little robots on these little carts, like they're having the time of their lives. And I'm so jealous. So I think I might want to try that out. That's so interesting and, and not something that, you know, I would have thought about. Just the fact that, like, you have to have it in pieces to make it maneuverable, but that doesn't mean it's actually in pieces. Um, and it kind of um, goes along with another question that Andre Cruz has, which is, what were the weirdest oddities scaling up SME? Any things that you didn't expect? And I imagine just when you scale up the size, like you probably didn't anticipate that having it in pieces would mean production wouldn't think you're ready. So I'm sure there are other like weird oddities that that happened with that scale up as well. Yeah. I mean, the, the robot is very different, but I think the the best answer to that question is, I think the biggest thing is um that the big robot has so much more inertia and I'm not good enough at math to tell you why that is. But when you go to turn the little robot, it it's very, very zippy and it's very responsive. But when you turn the big robot, um, it is, it has so much weight. You're fundamentally spinning up a 14 foot weapon that weighs 250 pounds. So think about how long it takes for say like a full body spinner to spin up that initial torque. Like we're doing that every time we turn, it's such a, um, it's such a different experience to drive. And I've seen a lot of people on Facebook saying I'm a bad driver. Maybe I am, but like at the same time, um, it's like you're building kinetic energy by even moving it in a, in a, in a turn, like all the weight is on the sides. You're fundamentally like it's, it's, it's a totally different game. You have to plan out your movements so carefully. You have to think about where they're going to end up because you're not going to have time to adjust or fine tune or plan your movements on the spot. You need to think about like, it's going to take me a second to stop turning because I've just managed to spin up this whole thing to 20 miles an hour in a circle. Like, um, so that was the most unexpected thing. And something that I learned over the first, uh, the first year we were there season five, I guess, um, was learning to stop driving like little, little robot, start planning out movements, start committing to turns, even if it seems stupid. Um, because I know now that the robot is hard to catch for heavyweights, especially when you watch um, the Deep Six fight or the Kraken fight, you can see how hard it is to actually chase down. And I think when Deep Six went into the kill saw slot, they were behind us, but I couldn't do anything other than just commit to this turn that I was doing. I was already in the act of turning. They were coming in behind us. I was like, you cannot, I couldn't hesitate. I couldn't stall. I couldn't try to back out of myself. There was no option to go anywhere but forwards. And, um, so yeah, I would say coping with the massive inertia the heavyweight has is the biggest change uh, I've adapted to. I didn't expect anyway. 
Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, so uh, his next question is, what do you think of BattleBots picking up people from NHRL, Motorama, and other robot combat events? I think it's cool. Like, I think the the first the first me was um, it I I brought it as a joke to Motorama, and then it obviously gained a name for itself at Norwalk because Norwalk has way better um way better streaming and way better uh like fan fan uh like a, a more fan capital anyway, and um. I think Smee wouldn't have ended up there if it wasn't for showing up and uh, the fans loving it. And um, my good friend, Evan, uh, he, with Pain Train, um, largely came from um, Norwalk Builders and from his own team there with uh, Shredder Bro. And I'm sure there'll be more in the future. I think, yeah, the, the, the moving up from small big classes to big classes, big classes is natural. And I always like, when I always see people... Um, they'll post on the internet like how do i get on battlebots like it's like no that don't don't go to battlebots first of all the battlebots is like <laughs> oh, oh man but like also um <laughs> you could start small learn a lot of skills there and um and uh move up naturally like build your skills as you go things change you go up in weight class you learn everything and then you don't get worse at it is what i would say so any any builders that start small and they get bigger i think that's awesome any event that um seems to be facilitating that where they're like especially norwalk like um i think the, the producers of battlebots do watch it so if you if you do want to go to battlebots for whatever reason that happens to be i think starting small building something unique there is the way to go um so speaking of uh havoc where is 250 pound super team waterproof sealant um we are in many different places right now um brandon is off defending his country in ukraine uh evan has passed on god rest his soul droopy droopy is um whatever it is he's doing <laughs> i'm just kidding no we're all we're all still we're all still here we're all still well <laughs> um i i think uh this year this year we were a little bit too far into uh into our respective builds to make anything like that happen and uh i think there are some rules in BattleBots that would absolutely need to change like if i if i build an 80 pounds to me um, cause that's what the weight balance would be 80 pounds, me, star child, um, or Andrewpy or, uh, 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 pain train. It would be a little bit less weight. Um, anyway, I think the, the, the battle box rules as they stand now would require me to have a weapon. And if I'm downscaling that much and I still want to do the thing that it does in, in the 12 pound bracket, which I want to do again soon. Um, I think to control a 250 pound robot, you cannot compromise and have weight going to weapons. You need all of it to go into drive power. I think I can make a really good robot with 80 pounds, but I couldn't make it with a weapon. That's fair. Unfortunate, but fair. Um, so Tom Brisbane asks, without spoiling anything, uh, you've kind of danced around this, so you know, don't don't feel like you are pressured to answer. Uh, but without spoiling anything, the next concept you would uh, love to take the BattleBots for 2022. Um, or would you try something that hasn't been done for a while? I know you've kind of skirted around answering, so feel free to share as much as you want. <laughs> I would say with everything I've done, I think I try to bring something at least that people haven't seen before into the arena. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to backtrack on myself or on other builders. Um, so the concepts I have in mind are a couple methods of locomotion that you haven't seen before, but that aren't a shuffler or like our whole saws for wheels or square wheels or anything like something that would be fast and unique and hopefully good pushing power. But um, ultimately it's, it's going to be a matter as it was with me this year of, I have to have that like X factor of like, 
is this going to be interesting enough for me to follow through on it? Is this like, am I interested in this superficially or is this going to be something bizarre enough that the audience is going to actually remember it? So like, if I'm like, if I'm, I want, I want the kids that are watching me today to like have flashbacks of it in 20 years. Like what was that guy doing? Like, that's my, that's my goal. So um, I think, yeah, you're going to see something new. I don't know what to say about it yet. If anything, it won't have any vowels. That's what we've decided on this podcast so far. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, all right. So philosophical question based on, you know, the question, what you were just answering. Um, are, so this question is from Copperhead team member Luke Quintal. Are square wheels still wheels? I would say a wheel is a wheel because it rolls. So tank tracks roll. Square wheels do not inherently roll, and therefore they are not wheels. However, I don't necessarily think they should get a weight bonus. I wouldn't use that weight bonus for anything other than fun. <laughs> I um, I I thought it was funny that that was on the table. I don't think any, and, and I think the fun thing about Norwalk is that's still on the rulebook, but nobody's taking advantage of it. Nobody's taking their highly optimized vertical spinner and putting square wheels on it because it's like the spirit of the event. I think that's awesome. And, uh, well, I don't think I'm doing it again. If someone else is going to like roll in with something completely ridiculous, but with square wheels to make weight, that's great. Love it. Um, so this question is from Drew Monteith. Um, back when you were, you know, designing SME version one and SME version two, um, had you considered, um, using any weapons besides two undercutters? Um, or was, uh, just given the shape of SME were undercutters basically like the only, only viable option? Um, so when we first applied, we first applied with the idea of using a very, very uh, affirmatively actuated wedge as our uh, as our weapon. So like the wedge would be um, actuated with electronic um, mechanisms that I still have that we, we actually built um, for that. And that would be the weapon. It would be a grappler purely. And they said, uh, Greg said, that's great, but that's not necessarily a weapon. I do kind of get why like grappling horizontally is not really uh, entertaining. Like it's not entertaining as suplexing someone or throwing them or whatever. So then we had to decide, okay, what, what's the, uh, what, what, what is the weapon weapon going to be? And the weapon weapon at first, the, there was two options. The first was to try, cause we were just coming off King of bots where we had button only, which is a vertical flail bot. And we're thinking, what if we use the flail concept in some, in some manner? So like, there was an there was one concept with the flail in the middle of SME, like as an undercutting flail, so that it wouldn't um, it wouldn't necessarily need to take hits as hard, but it could still at least you could see it hitting someone. Um, but I think it looked it looked awkward. It didn't like it didn't have that um, that sort of like profile and that sort of organic like intuitive theme that SME, I think SME ended up having, where it it, it just it just didn't look right, like. I think the two undercutters, as small as they may be and as low profile as they may be, the way they fit within the drive pods, and you can see the big bearings in the top, and you can see the proportions of that with the wheels and with the wedge, that was more appealing from an aesthetic sensibility. And I think ultimately in combat, nothing SME has is going to be damaging to someone's front wedge. Like I'm just not going to have the weight to build a good weapon. So having them on the sides was, I think, the best option to... Uh, to keep um to keep the chance of actually doing damage alive yeah that's fair 
Um, okay, so we have two questions left. Um, one is from Eddie Friend. Uh, what was the thought process that led to SME? Um, and then what I think is actually a really interesting question is, how many steps did it take from concept to seeing it in the battle box? Uh, he ends his question by saying, thank you for thinking outside the norm, and I look forward to your next build. Oh, thanks, man. Um, we, I, I guess I redesigned SME the first time with no with no weapons except for the grapple. Then I designed it again with um, undercutters or flail, that a version of SME that nobody saw that just kind of looked pretty bad um, that was going to reuse a lot of button lead parts. And then I re- started designing it for what would eventually become the actual robot. So it was essentially full a uh, full three redesigns. The first the first one had was was weird. It had like three drive pods because it had like all these different mechanisms and linkages and stuff. And so I definitely think the one that it came out with is just like the only good one and by far the best. But I do have a habit of like wanting to see multiple iterations of something. So I would say don't be afraid to go back to the drawing board to refine a concept because especially with um anything mechanical, you tend to get drawn down paths that you then can't make the changes you want aesthetically or like um, how you think it's going to perform in the arena. And you're like, Oh, I can't change this because of this and this and this. And you, you, you I sometimes benefit a lot from just um, at least I did from just, okay, that's cool. I was designing this with previous constraints. Now it's time to design it um, with what I think it's going to do now. And it's kind of a journey that I, I guess going back to scratch works for me, maybe it doesn't for other builders, but um, I, I think a great video about this is um, the, um, the video of how to make a blip. Um, uh, Aaron goes through all the different, um, I see, I saw some of these from him very, very early on. I was like, what on earth are you building? But like all the different iterations from small to big, I think he, he has far more iterations cause he's a far more, um, competent engineer, but also a far, um, more exotic, uh, build method. And so, yeah, I think a lot of builders go through many, many iterations, like, starting over and being okay with that so don't be too committed to anything i guess awesome all right so let's end this interview with a single deeply philosophical question from battlebond superfan mary Catherine carr all right i hope you're ready because she's about to grill you <laughs> did you have to fake being on vacation during the 2021 in nhrl finals or was cock too powerful to compete as some whisper in dark rooms Cock, the helicopter of Norwalk. What I'll say is that Cock, as it exists, as the robots exist now, is far, far better than it was going into the event, the only event that it fought at where it got first place. It has, there's been massive improvements. Like, at that last event, I was fighting the same SME in the three pound bracket as a twelve as a twelve pound bracket. I was constantly changing wedges and wedgelets. I made the wedgelets for someone else that were for it was it was to fight a certain robot in the three pound weight class, and I was just putting them on the twelve pound to test if it works. And I found out that it works, and it was like so. I've like completely revised revised everything around fighting twelve pound robots with SME. The, the wheels are different. I can push them single handedly all the way across the arena. There'll be no problem. Um, that said, I was on a beach in uh, in Colombia at the time, so. That that part is true. Um, Tommy unfortunately couldn't make it. Um, I think he will be here soon. I don't know. I don't know that. I'm just saying that to pressure him. Pure pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy, you got to come. Um, could we potentially expect to see Cock at a event in 2022? Yes, yeah, so if the stars align, we're all there. I um, 
I, I, I do to have the, the, the cock name in, in earnest. I think we have to have everyone there. It can't, we can't leave anyone out again or not again at all. Fair, fair. Well, I know we all have our fingers crossed for that. And Joe, it's been so wonderful talking to you. I know that we're all going to miss me so much, um, but I respect, you know, your decision to retire and and go back to the drawing board. So I can't, I can't fault you there. Um, But, uh, you know, thank you again so much for being so candid and sharing so much with us and for everything these last two seasons at BattleBots. And we really look forward to seeing, you know, you at the NHRL battle box again soon and uh hopefully hopefully somewhere else as well thank you guys you guys are all like the unsung heroes of this community both for BattleBots, for norwalk for everything like you guys are awesome uh thank you for having me on again and for having uh waterproof sealant on before um if you'd like to call it that (laughs) (laughs) after the break we'll return with this week's installment of robots around the world Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. This week, we're traveling to an unnamed Amazon warehouse, where a worker says he was trapped for 15 minutes after robots inadvertently trapped him in a maze of movable shelves. The man uploaded the video to TikTok, showing how he had been boxed in by robots that autonomously move shelves of products in and out of a holding area. In the video, he wanders around, trying to find his way out of the impromptu maze, at one point saying, quote, They tried to block me in. These pods, these pods are messing with me. <laughs> um, so I'm not going to say I told you so, but, you know, this is, uh, I can't say I'm surprised. You know, it's, he's, he's very fortunate because most stories that you hear about people getting lost in the Amazon, uh, you never hear from them again. <laughs> This is uh this is the danger. And and uh so like one day, I don't know, this is like a formative memory of mine was being a small child and getting locked in a bathroom uh alone and like I couldn't get out and I can only imagine <laughs> I was in there for like I don't know an hour and a half before anybody <laughs> anybody came for me. Um and all right, like I can only imagine how much scarier that would be if I was locked in the bathroom at the hands of robots. No, this is an Amazon warehouse, Lindsay. So what that means is this worker was heading to the bathroom and these robots blocked him. <laughs> well, he's, he's lucky he was wearing a diaper. <laughs> That's funny. I see a, a future uh, playing out a very interesting uh, haunted like house attraction where like maybe the actual maze changes itself. Oh, I like that, Chris. Yeah. And you get two free day delivery. (laughs) And that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your uh, feed next week with another mystery guest. Thank you so much, Nicole, for editing this week's episode. And we'd like to thank Nelly the Elliebach, Captain Sarah Mollian for providing our amazing new outro music. We'll see you next week, folks. Bye. Bye. Dehumanizing work conditions plus uh, fascist robots equals hilarity. (laughs) No, Kyle. There once was a bot who's from the sea. The name of the bot was the Kraken of Teed. The lights went up, the buzzer sounds, although my scaly girl goes. Soon.
Not been two weeks from shore When out did come a metal jar The captain called all hands and swore He'd take that spinner in tow <gasps> Soon may the spinner man come To knock her teeth right from her gums One day when the fighting is done She'll take her teeth 